yourself using I want to bring up group. You can hear from them uh, a little bit about skiers no more for Christ. First, I'm going to bring up Mitch Revito. Uh, Mitch is technically his term is the regional director for the Northeast. You so this guy kind of oversees the networking and the connecting and whatever uh, of all of the kind of like SFC slash ski resort ministries from as far south as New Jersey, New York, and as far north as Maine. Um, Yes, there are people in Maine. So (laughs) this is Mitch, and he's going to tell you a little bit about his role and a little bit about SFC. Good morning. Uh, Thanks for having us here. So we have... um, Right now, probably only 10 of us, but we had about 30 different leaders this weekend come into Lincoln um, and crash at the Corey's house, take up every bed. of There are many beds, which is um, Lincoln and Loon Mountain Ministries has been such a blessing to SFC. Um, but SFC is across the whole globe. Um, here in the U.S., um, we're regionalized into um, the Northeast region. We've got a Mid-Atlantic region, Midwest, and then Northwest and Southwest. Um, just to keep things a little bit more local, more personal, really like relationships. Um, and like what you guys do here in Lincoln, we have all of these leaders across the globe that do that in their own resort towns. We speak the language of skiers and snowboarders. Um, we know how important it is for the economy. We know how important it is for... Um, just people who have been here and for people who you can choose to go love on in the community. So um, it's it's been an absolute joy. Um, being in the Northeast, um, there's so many different styles of resorts. You've got big resorts like uh, Loon Mountain here or Sugarloaf or Stowe Mountain in Vermont, all the way to these little mom-and-pop resorts like the Kank here in town and Little Rope Toes where um, you know kids can learn to ski or can sled down the hill and families can hang out and really develop strong community over shared interests. Um, so what is the Northeast really? Um, the, the goal is to share Christ with skiers and snowboarders. Um, it's not anything specific other than w- there's a bunch of us who ski and snowboard, and we have this specific set of skills of understanding what the people out there on the resorts like. And we use that commonality to go out there and say, hey, we enjoy this thing and we love this too, but our identity is in Jesus, and our identity is not in the of snow and the next resort and then the next gear or high fives you know we enjoy all of that stuff we enjoy the hype of being able to enjoy that but um it's uh, it's all about trying to use the skills that and resources that god has granted us as skiers and snowboarders who love jesus to go out and reach those people awesome yeah. thank you um next we're going to have uh randy come up randy is the um USA? Inter- no, national. Yeah. The national director of Snowboard Skiers for Christ. So we're just one region of a few, and Randy oversees all of the regions in the U.S. Yeah. Good to have you back, buddy. Thanks, Randy's man. Randy's been here a bunch. We love it's, Mitch kind of stole my thunder, but yeah, well, we, we bridge the culture to Jesus, partnering with the local church. And so if you love Jesus, you're where we are, the church it's not a community center in Lincoln, but it, it is it is you guys living out um, the mission of Christ in the community. And so what we do is we bridge the, the body of Christ to um, the ski and snowboard culture. And so it's uh, always an encouragement to see you guys um, as, a, as a community here doing that on a daily basis. And so um, and we just feel connected to um, a movement that around the world. 
God is laying this on people's hearts um, to, to that his name might go out in the ski and snowboard culture. And so um, it's just always so encouraging for us to be able to come together in Lincoln and see the way you guys are embodying that. So we love you, and thanks for having us. Actually, Mitch, can you come back up real quick? <laughs> um, all right, Loon Mountain Ministry, please stand and extend a hand towards uh, these guys. They're representing a lot more people than just them. Lord Jesus, uh, we gather as a part of your body, knowing that we are a tiny thing. But God, we are connected to something much bigger, much greater than we could ever imagine. Lord, there are over 400 million skiers and snowboarders in the world. And I know that it's a small percentage of that group that knows you personally. It is our goal, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to love them in such a way that they would come to know you and put their faith, hope, and trust in you. Bless this movement. Bless these guys, all that they work with and all that they do. We love them, Lord, as you first loved us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Loon Mountain Ministry. You can be seated. Where did my bulletin go? Over here. See this one? All right, so we have been making our way through the book of Romans, and I always start out the same way. I didn't want to preach through this book because this book is actually all about rules, laws, regulations, black and white, that creates the basis of what we believe. And, um, you know, rules have not always been an easy thing for me to deal with. I have always been that kid that has always been, I think, my issue is that I'm, I'm discontented with the area that rules keep you within. You know, I, I am freelance. I just am a free-roaming kid. Uh, as a young boy, my parents really never knew where I was, they just figured that I was where the food was better, is what they figured. If my grandmother was serving something better half a mile down the road, I was there. If my neighbors a mile down the road was serving something better, I would hang out there, you know. And uh, they were okay with that. They created like, this pattern, and I have a confession to make. Um, I did not know that there are video cameras in this town. And there are laser beams that trigger those video cameras that trigger the dispatch at the police uh, in town. So Snowboard Skiers for Christ this morning wanted to watch the sunrise from the top of the Kank ski slope. You cannot do that. And there are video cameras around the base lodge. And so we literally were in the parking lot for three to five minutes, and a police cruiser with lights on came in. I'm like, holy cow, that was fast. Like, what? I haven't even started up the hill yet. And uh, we were very gracious, and we were very polite, and we said, okay, sir, you are totally in charge, and we can't be here, and we can't walk on this hill when it's not open to see the sunrise. That's okay. We'll go to Loon, because uh, there is an uphill policy over there that's open two hours before opening, which is 6 o'clock this morning. So we said, all right, and we went over there. But, man, I, I am always that guy who's like, how did I break the rules this time? How, how is there even a rule about this? I find myself in that situation a lot. And so, so you know, Romans is a difficult place for me to go. It's very, it's very heady. It's very weighty. It's very academic, things that aren't really in my nature. But I will tell you, I have been extremely blessed, as I hope you have been, 
as we've worked through here. Because what's beautiful about it is what we see on our front bulletin right now. That it isn't rules. It isn't the law. That saves us. Praise the Lord. If it was the law, I'd be punished. No way am I being saved because I am a breaker of the law and a big breaker. Like, if it was by the law that you were saved, my wife would come close. She wouldn't be saved, but she'd come very close. I would be just hopeless, right? And so, it's verses like this that get me excited. Check this out, right? It is by faith. It says that we are saved. You ever wonder how, right? Paul out very clear here. We are saved by professing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. If I was to entitle this sermon, I would entitle it OMG. Oh my God. Right? Because look, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Where did oh my God come from? Why does everyone say it? Why does everyone say Jesus' name? What in the world? I have two theories on this. I have a negative theory and I have a positive theory. I'll start with the negative. The negative theory is this, that there is a good team and there is a bad team. I have lived 35 years and I have seen both teams at work. I am one who doesn't think that there is no bad team out there. I do believe there's an opposing force to good. I've seen it, and I've shuddered in fear around it. I believe in this bad team. And I believe that one of the deals the Bible says is that there is power in the name of Jesus. There is great power in the name of God. And I believe the enemy would like to diminish that power, not the actual power the name has, but the power we perceive the name has. And so what he does is he gets us to use it very flippantly, very nonchalantly, very bleh, muck kind of feel. And in the process, we cheapen the name for ourselves. And I believe that there is a good team and a bad team, and the enemy would love to cheapen the name of Jesus, cheapen the name of God. I believe there is a reason why we don't use other gods as swear words. I believe there's a reason why we don't go, ah, oh, Buddha. I just, you know, I just, right? Ah, oh, son of a... I just, I, I think that there's a theory behind it. Like, why don't we? You know? And I think that that's the negative side of it. I think there is an enemy. The Bible says that even the demons know the scriptures. They know God. They know Jesus. And they shudder. They tremble in fear. Okay? That's my negative theory. That there is an opposing force that wants to cheapen the name of Jesus. The next thing I think, I believe, and I think Romans confirms this in Romans chapter 1, I think Colossians confirm this in Colossians chapter 3, that there is a natural inner honing, an inner desire, an inner 
pull towards our maker. Have you ever watched some of the shows on the fish that make their way back to the spawning beds of where they came from? Have you watched any of that? It's incredible. National Geographic, there are certain types of fish that are in the Atlantic Ocean that end up going back up into Alaska, into these rivers, far, far, far from the ocean where they were born, and they have this inner magnet thing that allows them to track where they, they have this inner homing device that they just follow. I believe, according to Scripture, each human being was created in the image of God and therefore has an inner longing, an inner calling, an inner pulling to their maker, an inner interest. And I believe that's the positive thing, right, that leads us to saying, oh my God. Because there's a difference. There's a difference when you stub your toe and go, oh my God, right, to when you hear the news of someone passing younger than they should pass, who's a very loved one and very personal to you, and the breath is taken out of you from that phone call, and you go, oh my God. Very big difference. Very big difference. And I believe that there is that inner, that inner thing that knows what we need that knows what will save us. They call it a foxhole conversion, right? That's a military term, right? That we God, it has hit the fan when it is the lowest it possibly can be, and I'm going to lose my life, or everyone around me is going to lose my life, or everything's just going to pot. Oh, my God. Oh my, it's a hand-reaching kind of, oh, my God, right? Versus a slap, oh, my God. And this is the oh, my God that Paul is talking about. It's when you come to the recognition, you come to the realization, you come to the truth that you don't have a prayer. You don't have a chance at saving yourself, saving your financial self, saving your social self, saving your physical self. I definitely can't save my physical self. So Thursday, right, made it on to Pichet's through this crazy roller coaster of a week. So Abishay uh, competed last week in the States. In New Hampshire, they take the top 11 girls to go on to Easterns. It's called Pichets. And Abishai had written Pichets on her wall two years ago. That was her goal. Abishai missed it last Sunday by one slot. She was number 12 in the state of New Hampshire. Talk about, oh, my heart went out to her when they called number 11. Because we knew standing there yes, last week on Sunday, we knew it. You know, at 4 o'clock when they're getting ready to do awards, we're looking at the board and we're trying to do the math because it's over the whole weekend scores. And we're like, okay, she's either the last one in or the first one out, and we don't know. And I'm not telling her that. She's way up front in a crowd of like 300 people for awards. And when they called that girl number 11 and it was not her name, she bolted through the crowd of 200, just tears coming down and into the comp center and grabs her jacket and grabs her bag and leaving Loon Mountain. You know, and it was a difficult moment to be a father where you put your arm around and say, hey, I know this is hard, but we ain't leaving because there is a boys team that's going to be announced and you, there's people from your team that are going to be announced on that team and then they're going to do the team awards and I think Loon Race Team had a chance at getting either the third or second or first grouping and they did. The Loon Race Team got third in the state last week and that, that's, she's part of that. She needs to go up there and it was difficult to stand there in front and keep my arm around her and say, we're, we're hanging here, you know. 
And that was hard. So then Abishai works through that through Monday and Tuesday. And this whole idea, okay, ski racing is not who we are. It's what we do. You're a child of a king, right? And ski racing is just something cool that you get to do while you're on this earth. Praise the Lord. But it's not who you are. So we moved through that. And then on Wednesday afternoon, her PE teacher, who happens to be her weekend coach, gets an email and says, hey, some kids from New Jersey can't come. That open space up for the alternates in New Hampshire. We want your daughter. And so he goes into math class and says, hey, I need to talk to Abishai. So Abishai comes out, and he says, you've, you've, you've been called. You're going to P-Shade. So I was like, wow. You know, like, it's crazy how God works. You know, we learn that lesson of disappointment. Learn that lesson of who we are versus what we do. And then the desire of the heart ultimately got fulfilled to go, and it was like all over the place. So long story longer, I get there on Thursday. I'm like, all right, I'll bring her down Thursday. Heidi, we'll tag team, and we'll do this kind of thing. I get there on Thursday, and uh, I, I get to ski um, Gunstock. It's at Gunstock, and because I work at Loon, I get to ski at Gunstock. And so we get her there, and she gets all out there with all the kids from as far south as Virginia, far over as like uh, western Pennsylvania and up to Maine, and they split into groups, and they go out and train. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go ski. And there's a bunch of these coaches, these race coaches, and they've just graduated college. They're all college ski racing kids. They're all between the ages of 23 and 27, and they all coach racing now. And, I'm, and they're like, hey, would you like to ski with us? And I'm like, sure. I felt my age. <laughs> I am not 25 anymore. On the groomers, I could see them in front of me. In the woods, unbelievable what those guys were doing in the woods. They, they literally were skiing in the woods probably at 30 miles an hour. And I'm like, all right, I got children. I have Christian insurance, which is pretty much fake. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go down nice and gently in the woods, and I will see you guys later. You know? So... Um, <laughs> so, um, what was my sermon about? Uh, yeah, oh my God. So Paul here is explaining how simple the salvation process is. And I get bogged down in the doctrine of Romans. You know, this predestination stuff, this foreknowledge stuff. This big words like propitiation, I can't even say that without spitting. Um, you have big words, and I get kind of weighted down. And what it boils down to is saying, with a humble heart, oh my God, reaching. That's it. That's it. He's boiling it down to this. You are saved through the confession of your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You are Lord. Lord means master. Lord means over everything. I come to you humbly. And believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And, 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 and as a Christian, sometimes I go, oh, that's obvious. No, I don't know about you, but I definitely sometimes go, is this whole thing just made up? Like, is this, like, what in the world, you know? Then you get that moment where, what I love about it is, if you look in your bulletin, okay, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but um, if you look at the songs, Reckless Love and Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness was written in the late 1800s, some, somewhere between 1880 and 1890, 
Okay? Reckless Love, of, Reckless Love, I think, was written in 2017, I think. It's recent, right? So we're talking, what's the quick math on that, Craig? 200 years? Ballpark? No, is it 200 years? Huh? 150? It's a long time, okay? Um, 150 years. I think it's funny how, like, chord structures have changed and rhythms changed a little bit and, and like, center structures have changed and verbiage has changed. Those two songs actually pretty much say the exact same thing, right? Reckless Love of God says that he's going to go anywhere to find you, right? And actually it's not he's going to go anywhere to find you. It would be better stated like this. He is everywhere, so you can't go anywhere that he is not. So he's not actually finding you. He's just saying, oh, hi, I'm, I'm still here. Oh, yes, hello, um, still, I'm God, I'm everywhere. And you think you're far from me now because of what you've done. Or you think you're far from me because of your doubt. You think you're far from me because of your worry. You think you're far from me because of your anger. <laughs> right here. The psalmist says it doesn't matter if you make your bed in the clouds, or if you make your bed at the bottom of the ocean, it doesn't matter if you go as far to the left or farther to the right as you can possibly go, you cannot escape the presence of God. And then great is thy faithfulness is, is the, essentially the same thing. His faithfulness is that he is everywhere. His faithfulness is that he is where you are. And I think that is absolutely beautiful. But what you Paul unwrapping here is absolutely contradictory in my mind to what he unwrapped in chapter 9. Chapter 9 is all about what they call the sovereignty of God. And remember the sovereignty of God is that dad says so. Remember that? When we were talking about how like man like I hate this rule or I don't like this. I don't understand this. And remember you did that to your father. Right? And you why? I hate this. Why? And what was dad's response? Because I said so. Because I'm dad. Because I'm your father. Fill in the blank of whatever term your dad used. Okay? That is the whole foreknowledge of God. That is the whole predestination of God. It's God's sovereignty. In other words, because I said so. But what's crazy is Paul now in chapter 10 completely switches paradigms. And you know what this is? Confession with your mouth and believing in your heart? It's free will. You have a choice. It's called the responsibility of mankind. So the big words are sovereignty of God, responsibility of man or of humankind. Responsibility. So the sovereignty of God is that he is above all, knows all, all-powerful, all-loving, judge, jury, and lover, all in one. Sovereignty of God. And that there are some that are left out, according to Romans chapter 9. But then, and, and, and it says in Romans chapter 9, that those that are left out were predetermined or predestined, you know, Sean was doing a pretty good job wrestling with it last week. I mean, that's pretty good. You know, that's a pretty hard assignment for an intern. Hey, preach the end of Romans 9, beginning of Romans 10. Good luck, pal. You know. But then Paul now switches from the sovereignty of God to the responsibility of man. 
I was trying to think of an analogy to help you because I think what happens is a lot of times we like things neat and tidy. We like things explained to the point where you can't explain it anymore so it's like absolutely concrete for our brains. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of humankind is not black and white. It is not concrete. And they are not separate boxes. I think a lot of times we like to say, okay, the sovereignty of God is this bubble. And the responsibility of man is this bubble. And this is what I think Paul does. This right here is a slalom gate. Okay? This is what uh, Abishai actually today is running a course with, I don't know, maybe 50 to 80 of these. All right? And you've probably seen it in the Olympics. When you come around this gate, your skis are on one side, okay? And you are hitting it with your knuckles or the, 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 the plastic piece on, your, on your, your, your pole. And the pole actually bends, okay? It's got a hinge on it. And it bends down out of your way like this. And then you switch and you go over the next one on the other side. And you go down and you can, I love the sound of slalom. It's like, schwack, 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 schwack. Schwack, schwack. And you see these kids, and you watch their knees. Their knees are like metronomes. They're going like this as their knees go back and forth. Like I, I don't, we're gonna, Someday I'm not going to be able to do it because I have bad knees, right? But that's all of them. And this is a slalom gate. And I used to think of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man of two separate things, but they're not. They're two ends of the same pole. Meaning this. I would this hinge piece off. These hinge breaks quite a bit, and you take these off, and then you have just a pole, right? Scott, did you ever ski a slalom course when it was just bamboo? Totally. Now, did you block those gates with your fist? No, because why? They would snap in the ground every time. You just went around them as quick as you could, and you're kind of like grazing them with your shoulder, correct? Slalom is a completely different thing now. They're getting so close to the gate that they have to punch it with their fist, right? But back at the they have this hinge, right, and this brush. They just had a bamboo rod shoved in the ground, and they went around it like this, okay? That is part of it. Now, a lot of times they break, and this is just laying in the ground, sticking up about this far out of the snow. That's the most dangerous, right? Because that's when you can hook a tip, catch something, slide down, take it into the ribs, because this right here is sticking out of the snow about that much, about three inches, and that's the worst Right? So when a kid breaks a gate right here, you'll see course workers and stuff move as fastly, as quick as they can to that brush in the snow and try to get it out of there before some kid falls. I don't know if you're watching the Olympics, but in the combined, a kid from Austria right, fell in the slalom course. He got on his back and started sliding down the fall line because it's steep. And he started sliding down the fall line, and one of the coaches from a different country had left a drill in the hill. So you're talking a metal you know, a metal drill bit that's about that long shoved into the ground with a full drill, and he hit it with his back, and he snapped the middle dr metal drill bit right in half, right? Wasn't doing well. Hurt, bruised ribs, the whole nine yards. Two days la later, got the gold in the Super G. Uh, boy! Ribs hurt, just win gold. Makes it feel all better. Uh, that's Esther Ledesca. She's a different story, but I can tell you all about her. Um, maybe later. So there's two parts to this, and they're both needed. And if you separate them, they do not do what they're intended to do. And we evangelicals like to separate stuff. 
And then we like to argue our point from that separated stuff. Oh, the brushy is better. The brushy is the truth. And we leave out the pole. And then the other part of us is like, no, the pole is better. Right? The movie. Shampoo is better. No, conditioner is better. Stop staring at me, swan. Um, anyway, that was the movie that you children probably should not watch. Um, but we do. We like to fucking black. We do, because we like to on a winning team. And we like to argue a point and say, this is my team. I am a Calvin. And I am right. And here are my five points why I'm right. You know? And then we like to go, no, I'm an Arminiist. These are big words, I know. Uh, Calvinist essentially is God knows everything. We and no one has a choice whether or not they are saved or not. That's Calvinism. Arminianism says, no, God he knows every option that's available to you, but it's like a great chess game, and you have a billion different options, and God's like a huge chess player, and he knows everyone that's available to you, but free will allows you to move within the board, I guess. That's Arminianism, right? And we love to go on both sides and sit there and argue forever. Well, I paid $120,000 to go to school for four years, and I studied a bunch of classes on those two things, and I left going, <laughs> can I just do youth group? Like, wow, you get together and talk about that all you want. I'm just going to go over here and have some wings with somebody and ask them how they're doing and if they need me to pray for them, you know, because that's what I'm going to stick with. But there are some beautiful, beautiful people out there with beautiful, beautiful minds that are thinking about all this stuff. They haven't discovered anything different than guys that were thinking about it 200 years ago or guys that were thinking about it 400 years ago or guys that were thinking about it 1,000 years ago. If you read all of the literature from 1,000 years, 400 years, 200 years, to last month, it all is wrestling pretty much with the same thing. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of humankind. And don't box them. Don't separate them. They are two things on the end of one pole. And you need both. And if you take them apart, you're going to get wicked frustrated. Did you ever think that you'd go to a sermon with a slalom pole? A slalom gate? Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> the gate is narrow, right? So, I hope that you get into Romans. I hope that you read it. Remember Martin Luther? Martin Luther said that if you were stranded on an island with one book, it needs to be the book of Romans. He also said that every believer should memorize the book of Romans. That's insane. Um, there's a couple verses that I know, but not all of them. Um, so today we covered the sovereignty of God. He's dad. He knows best. And the responsibility of us. We can choose him. Or we can choose ourselves. And how that both works in a continuum, I don't really exactly know. But I can't wait to get to heaven and him tell me. Because you can't box God. You can't put him in human terms. The psalmist said that's our greatest problem. Is that the God said in the psalms, that's your greatest problem. You thought I am exactly like you. And I'm not. Stop, stop trying to make me 3D. or Stop trying to put me in your dimension. Two things. Sovereignty of God. Responsibility of man. Don't separate them. Keep them together. And let's trust God. And let's love our neighbor as ourself. Hmm. Good hanging out with you guys this morning. Thanks for letting me talk about skiing. I find a way to talk about skiing and food, huh? Some, somehow... <laughs>
or, or the Patriots. Calvinists are bad at chess. And there we go. That's what he took out of this. Yeah, cool. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. We do have some food out back. You know, one of the things that we uh, value that we've, you know, that we, we know all along is that food is a great, um, it, it gets people together. And it gets people to hang out longer. We, 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 we are not hungry Okay, I know that maybe some of you don't have some financial means that others do, but we're in America. And I know that there are some people that are hungry in America, for sure. Um, I'm not one of them. Um, but we, we, don't, we don't necessarily feed on Sunday morning for people, you know, that, that, that are like, oh, these people don't have food, so we're going to feed you. Um, if you're an individual that is in a position where food is difficult for you, we definitely want to help you. Tuesdays is the food pantry here. We help a lot of folks in that position. This, why we serve food here, is because it makes people stay and linger, hang out. And it gets people to talk into someone that they don't know. And I love that. Christian life was not meant to live isolated. And if you're doing it, you are struggling. You were meant to battle sin together as a community. You're meant to celebrate victories as a community, you're meant to walk through deep sadness as a community. And we're New Englanders. We nah, don't do that naturally. But if you throw food into the mix, New Englanders hang out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like chowder. And so we got some food out back. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for the folks that uh, served, to put out that food. Um, we thank you for all the folks that got together to make this Sunday morning possible. God, this Sunday morning is not be-all, end-all of Loon Mountain Ministry. It's just one of the things that we do to gather people. We thank you for your mysterious gospel, your deep and unfathomable ways that you, Lord, know everything in your sovereignty, but yet you've given us the freedom and the will to choose you. Oh, Holy Spirit, guide us to choose you. Put all of our faith, hope, and love in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.